Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. We're back again for the last episode in March. So some quick notes. Lots of new books from our birthday celebrations. Those will be featured in upcoming episodes. And another housekeeping note, uh, no more WorldCat links in the show notes. Uh, if you are interested in the book, hopefully the author and the title of the book will be more than enough for you to find it. If uh, you find that you can't, feel free to message the show. Or if there's a, a demand for it, the WorldCat notes can go back in. Before delving into the books of the week, I also do want to take a, a moment to note that many people across the media and in, in my life have taken some time recently to reflect that we are now hitting the, the one-year anniversary space of when COVID really became a, an acknowledged American issue and hopefully a global issue as well, but America shut down in early March 2020. And we are now past that milestone. With my family myself, I was uh, very caught off guard by it and recall in the days leading up to the lockdown, having gone about things normally and visiting places that had I been more aware, perhaps I wouldn't have. Our first featured book is The Refugees by Viet Tang Nguyen, a Vietnamese American author professor of English, American Studies, and Ethnicity at the University of Southern California, and contributor to the New York Times. His 2016 debut novel, The Sympathizer, was honored with numerous awards, including the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. The Refugees is a collection of seven previously published short stories focused on those in the liminal space between two identities, their country of origin and their newly adopted nation. From a young Vietnamese refugee who suffers profound culture shock when he comes to live with two gay men in San Francisco, to a woman whose husband is suffering from dementia and starts to confuse her for a former lover, to a girl living in Ho Chi Minh City whose older half-sister comes back from America, having seemingly accomplished everything she never will. So I had seen about the release of The Sympathizer and wanted to try a shorter work by this author, and now having read through it, would like to give The Sympathizer a, a read, as well as its sequel that, uh, if not out already, should be coming out soon. So The Refugees is a, features a variety of tales that focus more on the day-to-day -day life of the featured individuals, and those are about navigating family life or navigating a new social circumstances, grappling with traumatic events of the past, and while the majority of the stories take place in the United States, there are a few that take place at least partially in Vietnam. Out of the seven stories, uh, the three most impactful uh, I'll go through in detail right now. So the first was Black-Eyed Woman, which was about a ghostwriter living with her mother who struggles with survivor's guilt, uh, and she and her mother are visited by the ghost of her brother as they work to find peace with what has happened. The second most impactful story was War Years, uh, and this one is told through the viewpoint of a, a young boy uh, 
and his family runs a convenience store, grocery store in America, serving the Vietnamese enclave. And they are kind of asked, coerced into uh, contributing funds to an anti-communist group who plans to go back to Vietnam to fight for uh, the freedom of the country. And the family struggles with this decision, uh, eventually ending with a clear resolution and a boy troubled to make a decision of his own. And the final impactful story uh, is called Fatherland. And this one is uh, told through the viewpoint of a young woman uh, narrating the visit of her American stepsister to Saigon. The father remained in the country while the rest of his family left and he chose to remarry and raise children named the same as the family that left. Book two is For Bread Alone by Mohamed Shukri, who is a Moroccan author and novelist best known for this work. It was translated by Paul Bowles, uh, a translator and a white American author, composer, and translator. He, his best known work was The Sheltering Sky, and uh, Bowles settled in Tangier in 1947 and lived there until his death in 1999. So For Bread Alone is the semi-fictionalized memoirs of Shukri from young life to his 20s. So driven by family famine from their home in the Rif, Muhammad's family walks to Tangiers in search of a better life, but his father is unable to find work and grows violent. Muhammad learns how to charm and steal, and during a short spell in a filthy Moroccan jail, fellow inmate kindles his life-altering love of poetry. So I became aware of this book through Leila Lalami, uh, mentioning it in her book, Conditional Citizens. And overall, uh, in thinking of this book, it was found, it was an international success in English, but uh, has been criticized, censored, and banned in Egypt and Morocco. In fact, it was not published in Morocco until uh, many years after its initial release. It's well lauded and apparently considered a cult classic. Uh, but it is a stark tale of life in poverty and trying to find meaning in the life. And uh, Shukri, or the narrator, uh, definitely falls into temptation of vice. Drugs and sex are featured frequently uh, in, the, in the later half of the book. However, the most powerful section is devoted to the 1952 independence riots and their aftermath. And so in this, Shukri was on the ground seeing the tensions rise and then the uh, police crack down on those in the aftermath of that. So that's thinking of our contemporary United States. Something we're, we're also seeing is the uprising and then the resolution. Uh, a major criticism for this book by me was that Bowles did not do a direct translation as uh, Shukri wrote it in classic Arabic, which Bowles was not fluent in. So instead, he worked with Shukri, uh, and they first, Shukri translated into Moroccan Arabic, which Bowles could then translate, and then he, they worked together through French and Spanish to determine shades of meaning. So this went through many different languages. So I'm not sure how much of that was lost or affected in the translation. And the other major thing is, uh, from the brief description I gave early on, that is the run of it. So it's, it's early, uh, Shukri's fictionalized early life into his 20s. So it does end rather abruptly, uh, 
with the setting of these goals that could drastically change and reshape Shukri's life, but it's unclear how likely he is to pursue these or not. Our third book is At Night All Blood is Black, uh, written by David Diop, a French-born novelist and academic who grew up in Senegal. He is currently a lecturer at the University of Pau, and this is his first work of fiction and received the 2018 Prix Goncourt. Uh, and Anna Moshovakis is a writer, editor, and translator who has taught in the graduate writing program at Bard, Naropa, and elsewhere, and is currently an adjunct faculty in the Pratt MFA program. So this book is centered on Alpha Nidiai, a Senegalese man who never before having left his village finds himself fighting in as a so-called chocolat soldier with the French army during World War I. When his friend Mademba Diop in the same regiment is seriously injured in battle, uh, he begs Alpha to kill him and spare him the pain of a long and agonizing death in no man's land. Unable to commit this mercy killing, madness creeps into Alpha's mind as he comes to see this refusal as a cruel moment of cowardice. Anxious to avenge the death of his friend and find forgiveness for himself, he begins a macabre ritual. Every night he sneaks across enemy lines to find and murder a blue-eyed German soldier. And every night he returns to base unharmed with a German severed hand. So I'm not entirely sure where I first heard of this book, uh, possibly through a book, best book of the year list or a featured list of newly translated works. But either way, it's a World War I book, which definitely falls into one of my regular reading interests. So this is a short work, uh, I think under 150 pages, well plotted, but very dark and violent, which you certainly would see from that description. Uh, Alpha's viewpoint is the main one as he talks through the horrors of combat uh, and also compares them in flashbacks to the life he had before. So it is a very uh, clear day-to-day -day life in the trenches because Alpha talks about those he's serving in the trenches with, the differences between his soldiers and the, like the colonial soldiers and the, the French soldiers that they interact with, particularly their white officers. Uh, so we, it, there is a recurrent uh, discussion point of racism coming up. And after reading through it, you might be left wondering, is Alpha mad or is he just reacting to these circumstances the best way he can to maintain his sanity? Book four moves us into some lighter territory. So this book is The Unexpected Mrs. Polifax. It was written by Dorothy Gilman, who was a, an American author best known for this series, which went through 13 books, but uh, Gilman also wrote young adult works under the name Dorothy Gilman Butters. So the book is about Mrs. Virgil Emily Polifax of New Brunswick, New Jersey, a widow with grown children. She was tired of attending her garden club meetings. She wanted to do something good for her country. So naturally, she became a CIA agent. This time, the assignment sounds as tasty as a taco. A quick trip to Mexico City is on her agenda. Unfortunately, something goes wrong, and our dear Mrs. Polifax finds herself embroiled in quite a hot Cold War. And that comes from the Goodreads description. So I came to this book uh, through one of Nancy Pearl's books that feature recommendations. Uh, it might have been under the one about travel. But overall, compared to some of the other books we, we've already discussed this week, it was light and fun and kind of a nice counterpoint and relaxation. 
Uh, and ov- overall, like the other works, again, it's also a shorter one. Uh, and while it is reliant on some surprising coincidences, uh, the plot is still largely driven through the cleverness and intelligence of Mrs. Polifax. She is very crafty and capable. And uh, in research prep for this episode, I learned that in a made-for-TV movie in the 1990s, she was played by Angela Lansbury, and that is available on YouTube. And our final book of this episode is You Can Never Find a Rickshaw When It Monsoons, The World on One Cartoon a Day. And this is written by Mo Willems, an American writer, animator, and voice actor. He's well known for his children's book series Elephant and Piggy, Pigeon, and Nufflebunny. His books have been honored with the Theodore, Seuss, uh, Theodore Seuss Geisel Medal and Caldecott Honor. Uh, and this book also features a foreword by Dave Barry, who is an American author and columnist who wrote a nationally syndicated humor column for the Miami Herald from 1983 to 2005. So You Can Never Find a Rickshaw is about Mo Willems in 1990 when he was a recent college graduate who decided to spend a year abroad. This book captures his journey. Each drawing captures the most memorable thing that happened to him that day. So I was browsing through Mo Willems' publications and saw this listed, thinking that this might be a book for the whole family, where his children's books are quite fun. Uh, I found this one to be enjoyable as well. So it is a sketch diary, mostly images, with some maps, and uh, Mo does write an introduction and afterward, which helps contextualize things. But uh, m- most of it is the drawings, where Mo would pick the one thing that was most meaningful, impactful, memorable from the day, and he would draw it. So throughout it, uh, it discusses a variety of transportation methods, since, but such as bus, car, moped, motorcycle, boat, airplane. And it was also a portrait of a particular time. So again, he was doing this in 1990, which at this point were 30 years removed from. Uh, when this book was released, it was a good, I think, 16 years before. So Mo does talk about how some of the places he visited, there were tensions that impacted his ability to travel. Or in the case of Eastern Europe, that, that was when things were opening up fairly recent after things were opening up, so he could travel to places that others might not have been able to do so for quite a while. And throughout it all, you we see the joys and frustrations of travel. So frequent themes that come up are illness, food, seeing new things, exploration, and humanization. So just learning about others around the world, interacting with them, and even beginning to notice the other regular travelers. That's all for the featured books this week. Uh, The ones we'll be talking about next episode will be book one will be Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Uh, This one is The Last Remnants of the Human Race Left a Dying Earth, Desperate to Find a New Home Among the Stars. Following in the footsteps of their ancestors, they discover the greatest treasure of the past age, a world terraformed and prepared for human life. But all is not right in this new Eden. In the long years since the planet was abandoned, the work of its architects had borne disastrous fruit. The planet is not waiting for them, pristine and unoccupied. New masters have turned it from a refuge into mankind's worst nightmare. Now two civilizations are in a collision course, both testing the boundaries of what they will do to survive. As the fate of humanity hangs in the balance, who are the true heirs of the new earth? That came from the back of the book. 
And then the other book we'll hopefully be talking about next episode is the Address Book, What Street Addresses Reveal About Identity, Race, Wealth, and Power by Deidre Mask. When most people think about street addresses, if they think of them at all, it is in their capacity to ensure that the postman can deliver mail or a traveler won't get lost. But street addresses were not invented to help you find your way, they were created to find you. In many parts of the world, your address can reveal your race and class. In this wide-ranging and remarkable book, Deidre Mask looks at the fate of streets named after Martin Luther King Jr., the wayfinding means of ancient Romans, and how Nazis haunt the streets of modern Germany. The flip side of having an address is not having one, and we also see what that means for millions of people today, including those who live in the slums of Kolkata and on the streets of London. Filled with fascinating people and histories, the address book illuminates the complex and sometimes hidden stories behind street names and their power to name, hide, to decide who counts, who doesn't, and why. And that's from the Amazon description. This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story. Feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.